Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Atheist Experience. I'm your host, Russell Glasser. With me today is Jen Peoples. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Great. And how's the studio audience today? <laughs> well, that's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs>、uh, today is Sunday, July thirtieth, two thousand seventeen. We are a live call-in, internet-based atheist TV show broadcasting from Austin, Texas, and dedicated to promoting positive atheism and the separation of church and state. You can catch us live every Sunday on YouTube or uStream.tv. The official Atheist Experience website is www.atheist-experience.com. You can provide feedback by commenting on the official show blog at freethoughtblogs.com/axp. Email us at tv@atheist-community.org or join the Atheist Experience official discussion group on Facebook. And while we're mentioning social stuff, if you are following this on Facebook or on YouTube, you can like and subscribe to both of them. If you enjoy this show, you can also check out our related podcast, The Nonprofits, which is airing on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. You can find more links from the Atheist Experience website. Uh, and the next Nonprofits is going to be live on Wednesday, August second. As always, the cast and crew of the Atheist Experience will be going to dinner right after the show at Star of India, twenty nine hundred West Anderson Lane, here in Austin, arriving around six fifteen or so.、Uh, a few announcements before we get to it:、uh, the Austin Pride Festival is still happening on Saturday, August twenty seventh, and the ACA is still hosting a booth. There,、yes. so come by and check us out. I think、uh, Jen is actually doing a lot of the heavy lifting this、I、year for getting that working. Pride coordinator again this year. Thank so, you so much. Yes, so we'll be there. Right.、Uh, thanks also to、uh, the Facebook moderators that we have, who have、uh, like we have uh, uh, expanded. Uh, the group of people、uh, diversified the pool, and、uh, there are a lot of people、uh, who are help, helping to keep that group be a, a friendly, open, and productive place all the time. And they don't get enough recognition, so thanks, you guys.、Yes. Uh, and also, thank all of you for the donations that you have been making. Uh, I'm happy to say that, as you can see, if you're watching visually,、uh, we had a goal of filling a $14,000 shortfall in the ACA budget、uh, this year, and I'm delighted to say that we are now at $17,000 in donations, which is awesome. Thank you guys so much. Yes, thank you very much. Right now, the fact that we have met our goal means. You can stop giving uh, giving uh, charitably to us if you want to,、uh, but we are actually. I guess the ACA is now operating in the black for the year for the first time in a pretty long time, and that gives us a lot of great opportunities to have discussions about 
what we can do to improve the show and the facilities and uh, the events that we put on every year. And so if you are so inclined, the donation buttons are still there and will be there all year round. And, uh, and we appreciate all of you very much. And if I'm not mistaken, it's still tax deductible. Correct. That's, that's important. All right. So that's all the announcements that I all have. All right. So What's up with you? <laughs> oh, well, it's been a big week. Yeah. So there was this tweet that came out um, earlier this week that... Well, tweets never carry important information, do yeah. they? So it's just this all, one, yeah. So this one blindsided the military. Oh, well... <laughs> It was. Um, that seems like a security hazard then. Yeah, it was uh, <coughs> number 45 tweeting out that um, transgender people would not be allowed to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military, that we were going to be focused on, uh, on fighting and winning wars, and, you know, we're not going to spend all that money on transition care. Wow, well, that's very proactive of the President of the United States announcing this major new policy after he passed it, right, on 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 Twitter? Yeah, so um, that prompted a response from um, Department of Defense officials saying, uh, no, this is not how policy changes um, in Department of Defense. Wait, wait, surely he passed the policy first and then tweeted afterwards, right? No, this seemed to be one of his early morning um, tweets and, huh. you know, where he, he's sitting somewhere and we don't know where, but he's tweeting. And it's early in the morning, and it makes no sense. And, and uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the way it has to work. Am I to understand that the president of the United States thinks that he just has to type things into the Twitter machine and they become law? I, you know, I can't speak to what he thinks. But okay. I can speak to what the expectation is from the sec- Secretary of Defense, which is that the Secretary of Defense will be notified in writing if there's going to be a change to policy, and he will pass that information. And I assume Twitter doesn't count. Twitter does not count. Hmm. Um, So as of right now, there is no policy change. And furthermore, the military wasn't asking for any policy change. The military moved forward with implementing um, open service for transgender military members last year Mm -hmm. um, after... You know, Obama said, hey, we're going to do this. Um, the RAND report came out um, on this issue, came out uh, June 30th of 2016. And I have some information because there's a lot of numbers getting thrown around about how many transgender people serve in the military and how much it's going to cost. And um, a lot of it is is not really based on any facts. So I want to throw some numbers out there that are actually based on the RAND report which is publicly available. You can download it and read it yourself. But basically, the best estimates that we have based on um, uh, some demographic studies that have been done, uh, the estimate is that between 1,320 and 6,630 uh, transgender service members are currently in the active component. Um, so the mid-range estimate of that is approximately 2,450, and that's out of a total population of 1.3 million. Um, and then there's another 1,510 or so in the selected reserve. Um, and the estimates are that an estimated 29 to 129 service members will seek transition care every year. So we're not mm. talking about thousands of people um, who require transition care. 
Um, the next thing is that, uh, oh, and, and I know that people have been throwing out numbers like, oh, there's 15,000, there's 150,000. Um, th- those numbers um, are not accurate. Um, I, I'm not really sure where they're getting the 15,000 numbers. Um, the 150,000 came from, I think it was the Williams Institute, um, that were studying how many um, transgender people have served in the military throughout history or as long as we've been keeping track. So if I've got stuff. my math right, just checking, you uh, said 2450 members out of 1.3 million members of the military right. are are transgender, which works out to 0.1%, yes. I think. Yes. Okay. Um, That's, that is correct. Yeah. Um, and so um, what is this going to cost? What's transition care cost? Um, first of all, it's not that expensive. So it's an estimated 2.4 to 8.4 million dollars um, in additional health care expenses, which represents between 0.04 and 0.13 percent increase in health care expenditures. Hmm. Oh, so, so that much increase in one very one uh, not until <laughs> one piece of the budget. Right. Right. Yes. A small increase is all it is. Um, and even the upper band estimates indicate that about 0.1% of the total force would seek transition care. So mm-hmm. that's the upper boundary of it. If everybody basically that's trans okay, seeks but, transition care. But in theory, and as much as you can deduce what policy is from a tweet that hasn't <laughs> that isn't policy, uh, he's not just saying we won't pay for your transition anymore. He's saying if you are going to or have transitioned, then you will be removed from the military. Exactly. And, and I don't know what the, the strategy the that, is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way that the tweet came across, it said you wouldn't be allowed to serve in any capacity. So the other question is, um, he's clearly targeting active component people. But the other thing is, does this affect DOD civilians? Because, hmm. you know, Department of Defense civilian people still serve the military in, a, uh, in some capacity. So scientists so, and analysts would also have to be removed. Yeah, and so maybe. it's like, how expensive is this going to be in terms of replacing highly qualified, talented people, um, you know, who basically need minimal care? And additionally, those civilians actually um, they're covered under the same you know, health insurance program that other federal employees are covered under. So it's not like this is a special, you know, benefit to them. So so they're under some general health care policy, which means that, or either he will have to, like, have somebody draft up a special policy with exceptions for just military members, or he just announced that this policy is going to change for everybody in the uh, who works in the government yes. sector. And and that's part of the deal when you change policy like this, there's supposed to be some implementation guidance provided, <laughs> which I don't think you can do in 140 characters or less. Um, <laughs> Watch me. Yeah. <laughs> Challenge accepted, okay. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is this is really unprecedented because never before in history have we uh, like taken away a right to serve like this. So, um, you know, we've we've integrated the military, um, you know, back in the what was it the 1940s when we did racial integration. And the okay. military was ahead of the curve on that. Um, 
And then, you know, there was gender integration. There's been uh, the demise of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, at least mm-hmm. for lesbian and gay and bi people. And now, you know, within the last year, for trans people. Um, and never before have we gone backwards and, and taken away, um, you know, the ability to serve from a demographic like this. So no one's really sure how this is going to play out because it is so unprecedented. You just don't do this. Um, and, yeah, um, and we, I mean, it's pretty weird in the sense that there is, like you said, no request from the military to, uh, yeah, no, to get no this happening. Yeah, no one in the military. It's, I mean, and so, I'm, I mean, <clears throat> I can't really think of anything it could be except naked pandering to the religious right. Uh, yeah, that's the only which, thing it can be. And this idea that um, I'm going to take away trans health benefits in the military and I'm going to use it for the border wall or some other thing. <laughs> it's like, well, you know what, why don't you pay for your own security at Mar-a-Lago and then we'll have enough for the trans military uh, mm. medical care, you know. Um, but, you know, obviously that's out of the question. But, um, yeah, so the, the RAND data also included um, some information on what... Um, transgender military service does to readiness. And what they found out is that it's really minimal impact. Um, and this includes, uh, it's, this is based on previous integration efforts, um, but it also includes some data on the experiences of foreign militaries. And so most of our allies have integrated trans people into their militaries, you know, years ago. And they've experienced uh, minimal impact on readiness. And in fact, they, they point out that it's had some positive benefits because it makes the military service more inclusive. Uh, so there are very positive aspects of it as well. Hmm. Um, and then there's a big question about how many people are currently serving as openly trans in the military. Um, and this has been a very difficult demographic to study because, you know, if you if you step up and say, hey, you know, at least prior to last year, if you stepped up and said, hey, I'm trans, you got kicked out. You know, don't ask, don't tell ended for most of us, but it didn't end for trans people. Um, and so until last year, we couldn't really get accurate numbers. What we have so far is that there are approximately, as, as best we can determine, about 250, probably um, a few more than that, but certainly in the low hundreds of people, uh, of transgender people serving in the military. Um, and of that, it's 80 from the Army. That includes active and reserve um, 160 in the Navy, uh, plus a handful of Marines, and the Air Force didn't provide any numbers, so we don't really um, have any basis for uh, assessing how many people in the Air Force are transgender. Hmm. But we're not talking about a huge number. Somebody was throwing around the number, oh, it's 15,000 people that are going to need, you know, all this surgery and everything, and that's just not true. Um, so it's a pretty minimal number. Um, it's a pretty minimal cost. Um, it's the right thing to do if you want to retain highly qualified uh, volunteers, um, and, and it costs a lot of money to, to recruit and train people to take their place if you just kick them out mm-hmm. for no good reason. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to like throw some actual numbers out there for people to consider, and the fact that this is not going to have a negative impact on the military. Uh, trust me, I was in the Army for 26 years. Um, this is not a problem with transgender people. I served with some transgender soldiers. And they had to leave the military to transition. And it was the Army's loss. Okay, um, The problem is not with the transgender people and what they need. This is a leadership problem. And I assure you, the Army is all about leadership. Uh, we can solve this problem. 
Um, it's not a big deal. Yeah. So. Okay. Are we ready for calls? I think we are. All right. Uh, Frank in North Carolina. Yes. Um, I hope my battery doesn't die here, but I was uh, fascinated to listen to your conversation. And I think that Trump's policy is abysmal. And oh. as um, the uh, person of the female persuasion was saying there, a Twitter is not a uh, bona fide directive that uh, these things need to go through a chain of, chain of command, through the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and through the uh, chiefs of each of the uh, armed forces, and to a, to a person, all the uh, uh, officers and generals involved deplore uh, this uh, directive. And I think you are uh, right on target that he is indeed uh, pandering to evangelical homophobic prejudice. And, yep. Yep. It's, and it's one of the things that as a person who believes in God, although not the God of the Bible necessarily, except uh, uh, you know, certainly not the God of Jerry Falwell, that, that people of that ilk, uh, you know, when I say I believe in God, a lot of my friends sort of think I subscribe to these uh, homophobic prejudices, that I'm anti-gay marriage, that if God had wanted you to be a woman, you would have been born as one. Um, you know, it's appalling to me that we live in such a stridently homophobic society. And um, Well, I think, I, mean, that, I think it's actually getting better. And, and in fact... Well, um, the, the message from the military commanders, which I was very pleased to, to read about, is that um, the military commanders had basically turned to their transgender soldiers and said, this is not a policy change. A tweet is not a policy change, and we've got your back. So, hmm. Yeah, you're right. That is, I would say, you know, a glass half full take on the situation. But simply the fact that, that Trump would, you know, pull this out of his wazoo, and, um, you know, and some sort of autocratic uh, technique um, is, is, again, just deplorable. Um, when Trump, I did not vote for Trump. I would never have voted for Trump. But, you know, I did not want to join the resist movement because, you know, I would say to people, don't tell me what you're against. Show me what you're for. And that... Everything he's done from, uh, you know, uh, his, uh, uh, you know, his uh, withdrawing from the Paris Accord, his flights to the international community in the United Nations, all these things just show such a tunnel vision kind of mentality that's, that's almost suicidally short-sighted. And... Uh, you know, it's just, and you know, um, a couple of weeks ago here in Greensboro, I wrote a letter to the editor about um, the Mika Brzezinski-Joe Scarborough kerfuffle. But now, in retrospect, that's merely a toothpick and a logjam of stupidity. Yeah. Well, and, and hey, listen, uh, before we get too far into the <laughs> political realm, 
Um, I think we might be already there. Um, We're pretty far, why, yeah. Yeah. Why, why don't we go ahead and get back to well, your question? Well, so, although I mean, well, we're starting out on the right foot. I'll yeah, say that because yeah. we're well, we're okay, all in violent yeah. agreement on everything so yeah. far. But, in violent agreement. Yeah. Right. Well, you see, as um, you know, as I say, I believe in God. Uh huh. But when I say when I say I believe in God, I know I do not know what I am talking about, because That's you know, part, of my, part of my theological f- philosophy about God is the first thing you have to understand is that God is beyond your understanding. Why okay. is that the first thing, though? I yeah. mean, why why not? Well, what, because it seems like it seems like by posing that as the first thing, you are pre-assuming that uh, that there is a God who's beyond your understanding. If it's if it's well, beyond your understanding, what reason do we have to draw that conclusion in the first place? Well, that's that's a good question, and I would say that, you know, in the same reason that we uh, can sort of see from a, uh, um, like in the observation of like a slight processional wobble in a star, we can uh, deduce that there was a planet orbiting that star Uh that, uh, you know, I would, you know, I would simply talk, say that, um, you know, what I would talk about is a... Uh, what Neil deGrasse Tyson refers to as the God of the gaps, that, you know, to understand, okay, now here's um, a sort of syllogism that was, uh, that I saw on YouTube. And it says, whatever has a beginning has a cause. Oh. Yeah. Our, current, our, <laughs> current, our current cosmology states that the cosmos had a beginning in the Big Bang. Therefore, the universe has a cause. However, space and time did not exist until after the Big Bang. Therefore, whatever created the Big Bang um, is outside of space and time. But you're assuming assuming that something (laughs) created the Big Bang. Well... I that's that was part of the that was part of the basis of the argument of the syllogism. Yes, we're familiar with the Kalam cosmological would, argument. And I would and I would presume that uh, you know that they say whatever has a beginning has a cause. Is that logically valid? That sounds like not so much a logical inference as a tautology. Like yeah. if it uh, if it started, then it started. Like, it sounds to some people like it might be deep, but it's really just appearing to be a useful thing to say because uh, only because it's saying the same thing twice in slightly different ways. And well, it, it's a, it is a logical inference, as you were saying. It's, no, and, yeah, we but actually, it's not. It's a, it's a tautology. <laughs> well, now, you see, but the other thing is that we know the history of the universe from, I think, like... I don't one, know all like, of it, that's for sure. Well, you know, from one Planck time, which is like one gazillionth of a second, so to speak, it's like one to the negative 43, 
Yeah, we know we know some amount. Like there is a lot of conclusions that we're able to draw from observation. That doesn't mean that we have a thorough understanding and a thorough and exhaustive understanding of every detail. But we know a lot. Yeah. Right. You know, something that happened 13.72 billion years ago. Uh huh. Now, um, but you know, the um, this was a. Um, a um, a lecture on physics, um, and I think it was like an is a Muslim physicist who advanced this argument. Oh boy! Whatever, whatever. <laughs> Why did he? <laughs> Are you what? sure? Wait, hang on. Are you... I don't know a lot of physicists who go out of their way to identify their religious beliefs as a qualifier for what kind of physicist they are. Yeah. Are, are no, you sure no, no. that they, this they guy was a physicist? <laughs> uh, it was a lecture on physics on YouTube that okay. I saw oh, maybe about two years YouTube. ago. So, <laughs> so you know, I'm not, I'm not, I can't give you some of the details that you would perhaps like to have. Well, I I'm mean, those many, might be important details because, generally speaking, like a YouTube video name, is not uh, wait, wait, a. Wait, wait, what is your name? What is your name? My name's Russell. Okay, Russell. Russell, in the main, my point is valid that the syllogism that he proposed is that certainly in all of nature, whatever we see around us, whatever has a beginning has a cause. Yes, we now, understand that. That's, uh, the, that's called okay. the Kalam cosmological now, argument. Now, you know, up until the 1950s, you know, before Fred Hoyle coined the phrase Big Bang, Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, physicists believed in the steady-state theory that the universe had always been and always would be, but then um, they determined, okay, the universe had a beginning. Now, something something had to cause that beginning. Um, and Why? Because, I mean, you just said yourself that uh, that space and time didn't necessarily exist at that point, and so having a beginning is kind of complicated because uh, right, be- right, because, because there was no time in which to have a beginning, right? So, so they so they propose that whatever has a beginning has a cause, uh-huh. and. Since space and time, you you know this isn't a scientific conclusion. Like there aren't any like there aren't no, any particular is, scientific is. published papers about this. There it are is, people on YouTube a, who are specifically advancing religion that state that philosophical argument that they are making. Yeah, and I, it, and I right. hope we can sort of refrain from talking over one another here. But um, you know that it just you know made some sort of. Uh, you know, it seems to me that, you know, indeed, um, when the music starts playing, it, it has the cause that I push the button on the CD player. Um, <laughs> There's a lot more causes then, than that. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm just trying to, you know, illustrate yeah. a point here with a uh, more or less uh, weak sil- um, simile. Right, but, but okay, uh, hang on, hang on. So supposing that I were to grant that there was a thing outside of time that kicked off the whole process, does okay. that, is there any reason to believe that that thing has any consciousness or intelligence? Could it be like a well, particle, <laughs> for instance? Well, well, have, have you read Lawrence Krauss, A Universe from Nothing? No, not personally, no. Well, 
him personally? Um, the, uh, well, you see now, um, you know, I'm wondering how it happens that you simply have nothing, and then all of them, uh, then a moment later, you have the zillions of, you know, hydrogen atoms. And, um, of course, you know, Lawrence I've Powell said thought... that nothing is more interesting than nothing, and that I guess there may be a sort of E equals MC squared relationship yeah. between matter and energy. But I don't that think that answers form, my question. That there's some, sort of, some form of energy in which quantum field um, uh, fluctuations you know, create matter. It's, it, is, it is simply counterintuitive to me. Well, and, that's because, um, oh, I mean, what's, what's your background? Do you have a background in cosmology or quantum um, physics? I have an interest in cosmology. Okay. I've okay. Read, but, so, I mean, have you studied books, it formally in like a... Jack the Ripper. I've read five books on the Shroud of Turin. I've uh -huh. read uh, 20 books on the real Shakespeare I've read any number of books okay. on cosmology. So you're widely but if, read. But if you know the scene from yeah. the, odd, uh, the Odd Couple where Oscar throws the plate of spaghetti on the wall and the plate falls to the floor and some of the sauce sticks to the wall? Uh, no, what I don't. What I've understood of what I have read of cosmology is tantamount to the spaghetti sauce that sticks on the wall. Okay, but, okay. but it seems it. like you're jumping to a lot of conclusions that the people who actually are authorities on cosmology and wrote the stuff that you read didn't draw. Am I right? Um, I, I couldn't necessarily say that. I mean, I have agreed. Okay, but, I mean, they didn't lay this out specifically in the books. Generally, this get, gets laid out well, by people know, who uh, call uh, themselves yeah, Muslim well, physicists on YouTube. Now, yeah. if you see... The people on uh, on YouTube, you know, they they put this out, you know, pretty forth in a pretty forthright manner. Of course, uh, it's sure. like production. So do the people <laughs> who say that all the presidents are alien lizard people, but that doesn't mean that they've well, got a foundation for that. An alien lizard person. <laughs> what? So, um, uh, no, actually, he's an orangutan lizard person. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got um, me there, but <laughs> um, um, but nonetheless. It's that we know what the, the history of the universe from like one Planck time after the Big Bang, but we have no idea. No is a very broad Bang. term for the amount of knowledge we yeah. actually have. Hey, so do you, do you realize that a lot of the people that you've quoted here, like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Lawrence Krauss, for example, you realize they don't believe in a personal God, right? I, I know that. Okay. And I, I'm not sure I believe in a personal God. Well, they don't believe um, in, in gods, in, in well, like any... Um, are you at all familiar with uh, the Gospel of Thomas? Yes. Okay. Do and you I know, have... I think it's... I, I can't even tell them what this would have to do with <laughs> this question. Well, it has to do with this, is that I think it's saying 70. Um... Um, you know, the Gospel of Thomas is 114 sayings, no resurrection, no crucifixion story, just 114 sayings prefaced by two words, Jesus said. And I think right. it's saying 70 that says, if they ask who you are, 
Tell them you are sons of the living Father, the light yeah. that came into being. We're not a platform Holy. for you to just read the Bible to us. I'm sorry. It's not even part of the Bible. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, well, uh, like, sorry, yeah. my mistake. You get yeah. my point. You see, there is a, a current of theological thought. It was, extirpa- it was extirpated in the um, fourth, middle 4th century. Yeah. The, uh, Do you know how canon. much they knew about physics back then? Yeah. <laughs> Squat. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> right. So but I, I mean, like, there. like discussing discussing what fourth uh, century theologians thought is interesting in the same way that that learning all like reading twenty books about the identity of Shakespeare is interesting, but we don't use well, Shakespeare, you know, Shakespeare as like as like an expert option. authority on a particular thing like how the universe came to be. Well. Um... I hold to a lot of unusual ideas, but it, I is, un, yes. it is unusual that a document that uh, was perhaps composed in the, uh, you know, the middle of the second century mm-hmm. um, would refer to God as living light. And Why? I wonder what credence, what credence, if any, do you give to, say, near-death experience? Absolutely none. What? None. None at all. None? Well, you see, that's where we disagree, because I, I know. <laughs> oh, there are many more areas we disagree. Right. I beg pardon? There are many areas that we disagree with you on, but yeah, that's, that's the latest. Um, right. You know, I know that, you know, um, you know, a lot of people say it's anoxnia. A lot of people say it is a desperate survivalist fantasy. But there are a lot of studies that have um, uh, investigated veridical evidence where people knew things that in an unconscious state in their ICU unit, they had no way of knowing. Uh, the, uh, there are, one... Listen, there are no studies that document that people in this so-called near-death experience situation, um, all the controlled studies they've done on this, Every um, every one of them well, has these, failed to demonstrate studies, there's anything to this. These, these studies, by their very nature, have to be anecdotal. But no, no, there are actually some <laughs> controlled studies that have been done, and, and they do not document that anything is going on that's mystical or demonstrates an afterlife. Right. It's just your well, brain doing weird things when it is in an well, unusual state. There are stories... Again, this is anecdotal, but there's the, the famous story about the tennis shoe on the ledge. Uh-huh. I think that's Kimberly Clark Sharp. You can uh, Google her on YouTube. Uh, there are stories where... Yeah, but, I mean, uh, that's a, one of those things that they told as a convincing detail, but then they actually tried to do specific studies about things, and uh, and it didn't work. Like there, well, there I isn't would, consi- know, like, like there isn't consistent, that, uh, testable, repeatable you know, things that you can attention. do, right? But um, there are cases where um, a uh, doctor walked into uh, a um, you know the room where a person that had a near death experience, and she asked him, "Oh, did you sell your car?" And he said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I saw yeah. you in the lunchroom where you were having a conversation with someone." 
And yeah, there is a huge he, difference between something anecdotal and something where they actually set up a, an experiment ahead of time with a specific thing that people know need uh, that people are supposed to know after their experience. You can't just like spit out a fact that you could have in theory guessed, for example, because uh, because. There are probably lots and lots and lots of examples of patients becoming consciousness and saying something like, did you sell your car? And the doctor just says, what are you talking about? I'm not selling a car. But you don't hear but those stories because of selection bias. Car, what? The, the, uh, and the, um, now, now, now Raymond Moody's books are right. by and large largely anecdotal. Where he I'm gonna I'm gonna have to wrap this call up pretty yeah, soon. I'm afraid we we now. can't do the whole show on the one call. Okay, uh, well, <laughs> but um, you know I I just believe that there is a God, but I believe that, that God is living light. Okay, and that is what the creature that is the uh, being that people who have had near death experiences have come back and talked about it, and they say they don't believe in God. They know God. Now, I know you right. don't know them. You, don't, you wouldn't agree with them if you did. But nonetheless, there could have been an alternative. Um, okay. Um, well, let us know when you get better evidence of that. Yeah. See you later. Well, oh, that was interesting. Uh, so... <laughs> Let's see. Uh, we got Mary in San Francisco. Hi, Mary. Yeah, hi. Hi. Are you there? We're here. Mm-hmm. Okay, hi. Um, so my uh, question is, and I've been wanting to ask Jen. Russell, I'm more than happy to hear. I'd love to hear what you have to say. But okay. um, By all means, go ahead. Jen, I, <laughs> okay. So um, a few years ago, I, uh, after watching Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos and um, from there listening to the whole group like Hitchens and Dawkins and Sam Harris and Sean Carroll and Richard Feynman, and um, so after about a like, month of watching and listening to all that, just out of curiosity, and I'm a, I was a Catholic, staunch Catholic for 47 years. Um, very rigid kind of authoritarian household in Michigan. And in about five minutes, I, after a month of watching this stuff, I completely lost my religion. It like, it was the like weirdest physical feeling. It like swept out of me. Like, yeah. I don't know, for the, and for the first time after being so indoctrinated, I just woke up and realized I was responsible for myself, that there was no God who was going to take care of me in life or like in any kind of afterlife. And it was the most exciting time. And so I didn't tell my family, but I did tell my best friend. She was surprisingly just really curious that her best friend had all these, like, new ideas. And she was just had enough intellectual curiosity that for us to have a really good conversation. Not that she was going to change her mind, but she just, like, she just had really good questions for me and out of interest, not out of anything else, and completely accepting my thoughts and ideas about it. Um, But then we got to, I think at some point in the conversation, I brought up something about how, um, you know, part of me thinking through all this was also thinking, well, even most 
people in jail are Christians, and I looked at what, you know, kind of the Catholic Church and priests had, um, how they had raped children for so long. And and she looked at, and that was the one moment she looked at me kind of disapprovingly or quizzically saying, but we're all sinners. And I was so, here I was in this kind of, I was just so thrown off because how can you argue with that? Not that I'm I'm still an atheist and I don't, but it was like the one thing that this really intelligent person who respected me and listened to me and, you know, knew she wasn't going to change my mind, but it's true. We all are imperfect. And I just hated the idea, though, that she was using like a Christian term to make it sound like, well, I'm... I can't have an opinion about all that because, sure, we could bring up 10,000 things I've done wrong. And so, Jen, I wanted to ask you specifically, how would you respond or how do you respond when people, when Christians say things like, well, we're all sinners? Well, first of all, I, I categorically reject the concept of sin. Okay. Sin is generally defined as some transgression against divine law or against, you know, a God. And since I don't believe in a God... And I don't believe in this divine law crap. Um, I, I just reject the whole concept of sin. I would reframe something like that and say, we're all human. Okay? Perfection is not required. It's not achievable for a human. And there's nothing wrong with being human. What we're not allowed to do um, under the law or you know, ethically or anything like that is things like rape children, you know, which... It sounds like she was using that whole we're all sinners thing to justify or at least excuse the fact that these priests abused children, um, you know, preyed upon children, covered up the abuse of children for for decades. Um, you're not allowed to do that. And you're not allowed to get out of jail free card by saying, oh, but we're all sinners. You know. See, but yeah, that's what it felt like. It was like all of a sudden everything yeah. was like and, a false equivalency or something. And the thing is, if you're making a if you do something to some that harms someone else, you know, not all of those kinds of transgressions are equal. So, you know, if I swing my arm and I whack Russell upside the head, I've harmed him and I owe him an apology. Um, but that's a lot different than, you know, if I took a baseball bat and, and you know, took out his I'm knee. I'm not sure I like so. where this analogy is going. <laughs> You're safe. I wouldn't hit you. <laughs> But, you know, like I said, not all transgressions are equal. Um, Although I'll point out that under a Christian framework, they are. And that's a problem with Christian morality is that, uh, like, uh, you know, the whole concept of sin is basically that, uh, you know, it's something that's less good than what God would do. Right. And because God is infinitely good, that's why they say you deserve infinite punishment unless you get saved. Because yeah. if you even run a red light, or I don't know, maybe God doesn't care about traffic laws, but if you were to to accidentally hit me in the head with your arm, that is an equally bad thing under Christian morality as raping children. Yeah, I mean, you know, different people believe different right. believe it different things, but uh, that is certainly one flavor that is that is sort of uh, pointed out in the Bible. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at how um, like criminal justice systems are set up throughout the world, um, 
what we try to do, and sometimes we don't quite get there, but the, the goal is to make sure that the punishment fits the crime. So if someone runs a red light, the punishment for that is not the death penalty. You know, you, you pay a fine, you know, um, and that's considered, you know, a just punishment for what you did. Um, if you assault someone, that's a very different situation. And depending on why you did it, um, you may end up with, you know, a lengthy prison sentence and a fine and have to pay restitution and all kinds of stuff. Um, because we recognize that, you know, different things merit different um, levels of punishment. The Bible or, the, you know, in Christianity, they don't make that distinction. You know, if Christianity, at least some flavors of it, would brand me a, a sinner uh, because I'm gay. And mm-hmm. and that would be the same as if I were raping children. And that's appalling. So yeah, right. I don't I don't buy this whole we're all sinners crap. We're all human. And we have human responsibilities to each other. Uh, okay, well then next time I'll say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I love um, it that this is on tape so that even though my brain is kind of stuck like it's hard to take in everything you guys are saying i mean to i can we listen to this and kind of because that's what i was thinking but the words just wouldn't come out of my mouth like some yeah not a, sure you know, about how it doesn't make sense because yeah but that's but that's your indoctrination <laughs> yeah you know? right. it's very so insidious it comes don't back speak up. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. An, another thing that i would uh Think about bringing up after you said, well, a lot of uh, priests have have done appalling things, and the answer was, we're all sinners. Uh, then the question might be, well, then what good is the religion? What's right. it useful for? Um, oh, right. That's not necessarily like the end of the discussion, but one of the reasons that morality comes up in the first place is because believers claim that you can't truly be a good person unless you have God as your objective measuring stick for what's moral and what's not moral. And if it turns out that uh, believers are no more likely to act like good people than uh, than non-believers, then that is at least one entire pillar of of uh, that's propping up re- uh, people wanting to have religious beliefs. That is not valid and doesn't hold true. Uh, now then there's still all the other questions of, well, objectively and scientifically, can we figure out whether there's a God or not? But I think those are, in many cases, easier to argue than the moral argument. And at least, uh, you can frame it so that she is, has to explicitly give up the moral high ground while trying to defend her religion. Right. Okay. All right. This is good because, like you said, it's not the end of the conversation, but it's right. the beginning of opening up these ideas. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. I just see. So, I was just thinking about this. It's a. It leads to even a bigger issue of, you know, she's married to a verbally abusive man, and she's staying mm-hmm. in it. And I was too, but I woke up and got out when I realized there's no justice that's going to come to this person later i get right so i need to make my own life separate and mm-hmm. i and i think and i'll have to 
talk with her about this, but I think possibly, I think she uses that we're all sinners argument to justify staying cause in a marriage, because I'm sure she could yep. list yep. a million things she's done wrong in life. And okay, okay, this is, um, okay, this is making more sense. Because that's what I want to, I want to break the conversation open into, into whatever happens in the conversation, whatever ideas could happen on yeah. the discussion rather than it getting stopped where it was because I didn't well, know and, how to respond. And I'm glad she has someone like you um, available to her because, um, you know, as you say, she's in a verbally abusive relationship right now, and her religion is probably a big factor that's keeping her in that relationship or at least preventing her from seeking counseling that would, would help her change the dynamic of her relationship. And so you being there to support her in this is a big, big deal. Sure. So, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that my mom is in the same thing and my, all these friends from growing up and who are religious are kind of in the same situation. Yeah. So I think there's a bigger conversation to be had. Thank you guys so much. Uh, real quick before you go, I'm being reminded to plug uh, the Hotline Project, which apparently is uh, you can call, what is it, 184-I-DOUBT-IT. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is a uh, group of volunteers that you can call uh, who will talk you through some of this stuff uh, if, if they're available. Uh, and, you know, just in a non-judgmental way, uh, help people who are basically recovering from is, religion. Yeah, this is, is basically oh. um, for, for people trying to break free of, of like, the, their indoctrination. Right. Okay. Oh, great, great, good. Yeah, so just Google the Hotline Project if you need to know more. Yeah, I'll check that out. I hadn't heard of it before. All right, well, thank you so much. Yes, thank you for the call. Bye. (laughs) Bye. All right, see ya. So yet another example of how insidious indoctrination is. Even if somebody has has basically, um, you know, walked away from religion, a lot of that indoctrination comes back to bite them. Right. Uh, I'm going to go to Chuck in Hawaii. Hello. Hello. Hi, Chuck. Hello. Hi. Glad to talk to you guys. Uh, I got kind of carried away listening to these other conversations, and it's kind of exciting. (laughs) uh, I wanted to kind of present you. uh, First, I wanted to say, you know, you guys are really doing a great job for God, actually. Uh, Okay, no thanks. (laughs) Like you were saying, indoctrination and and uh, fear tactics and to get you to follow their religion. They don't allow you to question them. They don't allow you to ask to debate or to even have a discussion about what they teach. They just tell you you have to believe it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I mean, I don't think we're doing. I don't think we're doing any of it for God, and I don't think yeah. that any hypothetical God is actually affected by it. But I'll take the good work part. Okay. And, and just just apply it as good work for other people. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, you know, if uh, it's something that uh, is like a cult, you know, they indoctrinate you, they threaten you, and they hold you captive, and uh, that's basically what religion does. Mm-hmm. And you guys kind of fight against it. Well, we, we fight but against the bad it. ideas that religion promotes, too. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Almost all... Ideas religion promotes is bad. 
Okay. They tell you you're going to hell if you don't join their religion. Well, not all and of them do, but send in a big donation. But but even if they but, even if they're not promoting hell or you know give me a donation or anything like that, um, there's a lot of beliefs out there that are actively harmful because they're not true. Yeah, and it's and it's not just about mind manipulation. I mean, lately I've been hearing that uh, actress Gwyneth Paltrow has been pushing a lot of. Uh, ridiculous pseudoscience that uh, that is actually very bad medical advice, and is and she's calling it good advice. Whether or not she personally profits from that thing or tries to control you, we are opposed to bad ideas. That's good. That's good. But uh, okay, how do you how do you determine that the idea is bad? Uh, there are a lot of ways. Uh, why don't you give me an idea that you've got, and we'll go from there. Well, I think that the idea of searching for truth, there's only one way, and that's by group discussion. If two people are discussing um, something, now they're going to... So, so does experiment uh, have any place in that? Well, sure, but you have to, like, like Matt says, show me some proof of your... You know, if you say it is an experiment, and just like you were saying to that other guy about uh, YouTube, people put a lot of things on YouTube, and they're not necessarily true. Sure. So the, the, if you have a discussion between just two people, all they're doing is spouting their own point of view, and that doesn't come to any conclusion of truth. Yeah, you but, I mean, like, group discussion alone isn't enough to ensure that uh, that actual truth will come out either, because a lot of times you will have, a like, a, a group of people who all believe the same thing without any justification, and will mutually pat each other on the back and say, yeah, this is a super good idea that we've all got. Isn't it a coincidence that we all know each other? So there, there's something missing, I think, from your uh, analysis that truth comes from group discussions. Well, yeah, yeah, you have to use reason, and you have to try to seek after the truth, and not just say, "Well, we all agree together, and so that's wonderful." Now we've got, we know what we're doing because we all agree. Of course, you have to be in a constant pursuit of truth. You can't just stop and say, well, now we know the truth. Even science did that in about 1840. They said, okay, well, now we know everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that that, you have to, huh? I, I, you have to be in a, did you say science did that in 1840? Yeah, somewhere around there. They said, I don't, well, now we know everything. I don't think yeah. that actually happened, but <laughs> that's not yeah. a specific enough thing to say for me to even uh, talk about, so... Why, why do I have the impression that this pursuit of truth line of discussion is kind of masking what you really called us to talk about? Yeah, like what? Well, no, I wasn't trying to mask. Yeah, I wasn't trying to mask anything, but I, I did want to try to present a, a scientific kind of an idea of the of the uh, existence of God. Oh, finally, yes. let's go. Fantastic. <laughs> present your case. Well, this it, it, the universe uh, really it doesn't work on its own. The Earth doesn't work on its own. Something are you, is causing. Are we okay. just back to Kalam again? I was we did say, this like you, half an hour. Okay, ago. first let's establish a qualification. Are you going to present anything related to cosmology or quantum physics? 
No, 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 no. Okay. I don't even really understand quantum physics. It's okay, just good. Something okay. small. Okay. I wanted to. I, I was talking about like uh, like like the way the the Earth works. There's uh, it's made up of about ninety eight different elements. And these elements don't wear out. They just keep I think working. We're headed for the the argument from from design. Uh, yeah, like everything has to fit perfectly yeah. together. It's Douglas Adams' puddle yeah. all no, over no, again. No no. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I mean. Okay. I mean, like it, it, things, the elements just don't wear out. Like oxygen, you breathe oxygen in, you breathe it out. Somebody else breathes it in, they breathe it out. It goes into a plant, it comes back out. It goes into a flame, it comes back out. It's not used up. Yeah. It just works over and over and over and over and over forever and ever and ever. Uh-huh. Science used to say that uh, that what? you cannot destroy or create matter. When you yeah, say science used to say a thing, like which you've done twice now, who are you talking about specifically? Well, high like, school science. I, well, there well, wasn't yeah. high school 150 years ago, so that's, I mean, you know... <laughs> These are very general claims you're making. Like, was there a guy who was the authority on science who said there are no more questions to answer? And, and who made him the king of science, if so? Exactly. Who made him the king of science? It usually comes from the English. The English have almost no industry, so they train All of the English? <laughs> England itself. England. Oh, so, so the landmass. Yeah, the island. Okay. I think I'm done with this call. Yeah, I'm, I was going to say, I'm lost. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know what the hell we're talking about here. I don't need this. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Um, yeah, also, yeah, never mind. JT. Oh, uh, wait, I think we lost. Sorry. I yeah. feel like so, suddenly there are way more theists than before, and it seems like we do, they hung up on some people. But anyway, JT in Ohio. Ah, uh, you hear me all right? Yeah, what's yes. up? All right. Uh, I think I've heard, do you guys remember saying, uh, I think to last Christian caller, or maybe it was another episode, sorry, you said that... Uh, why don't you, you believe in God, but why don't you believe in aliens and Sasquatch, things like that? Oh, I remember somebody saying that to me. Is that, or, no, wait. Uh, I don't know. So, no, sorry, you're going to have to fill us in on that yes. a little more. Please continue. Oh, um, what do you think it's just as uh, valid to believe uh, in aliens and, you know, Sasquatch as it is God? Uh, I think the uh, amount of belief that you give something is always going to be conditional on uh, how unlikely it is as well as how good is the quality of the evidence. Yeah. And the things that right. you've named are things that are very unlikely. I guess Sasquatch being a little less unlikely than aliens. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also right. have pretty terrible evidence supporting them. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't put them on a scale where I say they're exactly the same amount of believable. Yeah. I'd just say right. all of them are not very believable right now. Okay, I was saying uh, that there is way more probability though to even believe in aliens and Sasquatch than there is God. I mean, sure. at least we yeah. have a face on Sasquatch, and or uh, you know. 
uh, depiction of what he looks like and videos and picture evidence. So well, I, I think, yeah, no, I, I don't think we do. Wise, I think I think we have people's, uh, I guess, claims of what Sasquatch looks like. But, right, and we right. have we have like blurry photos that people took saying yeah. we, you know, I think I just saw Sasquatch. Yeah, but sure. I mean, but none of it really rises to the level of good evidence. Well, if you talk about eyewitness testimony, testimony, for example, I do agree, and I think you guys would agree that it is the lowest form of evidence that we can have. Oh, there's worse than <laughs> eyewitness. I mean, yeah. there, like that. There's a reason there is a thing called hearsay in court. Yeah, like that is right, right. that is definitely even worse than I. Uh, than eyewitness testimony, and that's why, like, we don't necessarily put things on a uh, on a objective scale of some kind. Right. Well, I would say, you know, we the reason we use eyewitness testimony is different than just saying hearsay. We use that in courts of law to base a logical conclusion on, you know. And I think we can do that same with things like aliens and, like, even mass sightings and things like that. You had the Phoenix Lights incident in 96. Hundreds and hundreds of people claimed to now, they all claimed to see the same thing, you know, the same craft. It wasn't like 100 people were all giving different stories and different, you know. Yeah, but again, it hinges not only on how good the evidence is, and I think most lawyers would tell you that eyewitness uh, testimony is not really good enough to base a case on most of the time. Uh, But it also also depends on how unusual and how unlikely the claims are. Like, if you take something to court, you're usually trying to establish Mm -hmm. that, like, somebody... Uh, signed a contract that they didn't fulfill or somebody killed somebody. And those okay. claims are things that we have observation of having happened all the time throughout human history. So while a particular person killing another person is a pretty rare event, it's also a not very uh, implausible event in reality. Right. Whereas saying that somebody was abducted by aliens you need way more than your standard court evidence to make that case. Yeah, and if you wanted to, at least, though, I don't know, probability-wise, though, you don't think 100 people were lying about what they saw. Now, well, they, I'm they, not I, saying they it was could, aliens. They, they could they be. They could have, yeah. Now, yeah. They could but, all but be mistaken, is, too. Yeah, it's, it, That's possible. Yes. I mean, mass, um, I, I guess... Um, sort of the, this mass hallucination phenomenon or, you know, a mass delusion thing is not unheard That's of. possible. And so they don't have to be lying. And so when a lot of people claim they saw the right. same thing, I don't assume that necessarily that they're all lying. Cause they or all it could, could be an illusion or misinterpretation yep. or that's a possibility too, but that's something I'd need evidence for. For me to believe that, we have to have evidence that, or maybe they were all tripping on acid. I don't know. Well, but the <laughs> you know, thing is, that the, was the that's case, something like that. That's the question when it comes down to, you know, is it more likely that a hundred people had some kind of, um, you know, mistaken impression of something that happened based on, you know, their their perception that that this phenomenon matched a certain, you know, preconceived notion of what was happening, or is it? more likely that some aliens actually were, you know, flying in formation over some city or something. 
Yeah, well, you know, yeah, which I'm one is more making, plausible? I'm not yeah. jumping to the cl- conclusion that it even is alien. I'm just saying I have no idea what it was. They claim they saw a craft that was a mile long, so close and hovering silently that they can throw a rock. Now, I don't know if they're telling sure. the truth. Yeah. But, I mean, you don't, you don't generally have to go even as far as they were all having an acid trip or they were all colluding to yeah, tell a or, lie. It could be that a bunch of people saw something weird and unexplained. I mean, just hypothetically, and that they all got together and talked, which people do all the time. Yep. And and one of the guys was like, hey, maybe it was an alien spacecraft. And another guy said, yeah, that makes sense. And then once you get a critical mass of people just yeah. reaching the same conclusion, people start to retroactively adjust their stories and their memories. This isn't unlikely at all. That happens all the time. Uh, and that's why right. stuff stuff like... People seeing, uh, uh, to use an example that Tracy loves, like they all see the sun jumping across the sky really quickly. Oh, yeah. Doesn't have to be explained by a huge acid trip or, uh, or a giant conspiracy. It could just be people going along with CrowdThink. Yeah, I mean, that's just one example out of uh, many. I mean, you have, these are detailed accounts. And it does seem like there's corroborating evidence, you know, corroborating <laughs> testimonies to the same thing. And that's what I base on what makes eyewitness testimony strength. How are many you trying there to are? convince us that aliens did visit the Earth, no. or is you just coming up with this as an example? Uh, well, I'm not trying to convince anything. I just think the probability of all the eyewitnesses and all of the pictures what? and videos. So you do think uh, aliens they, visited the Earth? Based on the evidence and eyewitness testimony, which if that's all okay. I had to go by, I'd say probably. Probably. I think your standards are too low. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had another example as well. I mean, we have 400-plus okay. government officials and military personnel who have all come <laughs> forward with their highly detailed, uh, uh, what do you call it, classified projects that they worked on, you know, People who can corroborate, I mean... What, What would they really have to, you know... They, they corroborated what, exactly? Well, that there are types of, you know, things, uh, what I say, uh, classified projects that they're working on. Oh, they I believe you. Okay. There are classified projects they're yes, working there, on. There that are, is but, true. Okay, <laughs> right. so, so I'm going well, to tell you a little about. story. Let me, let me tell you a little story. <laughs> Um, there is somebody out there in internet land that I know that I actually used to date. Okay. And she is now, she was in the army, you know, and so she's kind of put herself out there as kind of this authority on this. And she's claiming that there's something to this whole chemtrail thing. (laughs) Yeah. The government is producing the chemtrails and there's some stuff in those chemtrails and mind it's, control it's stuff right not good for you <laughs> right yeah okay. i mean i don't go that i feel like i'm not going that far well, down you're no, way aliens. past that dude if you're saying that there's <laughs> aliens you you're, you're way past chemtrails well not right? only that aliens visited the earth but also that there was okay. a massive government cover-up yeah. to stop people from finding it out because well, like, because i'm men telling in you black was not a documentary yeah because this, this this friend of mine. Oh well, I don't know that. 
Okay. <laughs> All I'm saying is this is what they have said. These are their claims. Yes, I don't and, and she's claims. claiming that this is claims. all top secret and she had access to this stuff and she is totally full of shit. <laughs> it's, it, but it, could it be possible she's telling the truth? No. Ooh. No, there's not even a possibility in your mind that there could be. She may be telling the truth. Based on what she did in the Army? No. Yeah. Okay. Well... I don't know. I, uh, she could believe I she's telling, telling the truth, though, she, right? She probably Possibly. does believe she's telling the truth. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think where we differ on is uh, what we think is more likely and probable in these cases. And I don't know. I just see the body of evidence, and I just see everything that ex- all the claimed evidence. I'm not going to say that they're all fake, and I'm sure as hell not going to say they're all real. I'm going to say I don't know. We have to investigate more. Find okay. out, are these pictures tampered with? Are these videos tampered with? Are these military and government people lying or something or misinterpreted? I don't right. know. I'm not just well, going to jump and uh, throw that in. I'm not maybe you should go, that. Maybe instead of calling us, uh, you know, calling a couple of atheists on a show, what you should do is go undercover and investigate this stuff. Yeah. Like, actually or, or find it out, because you could blow the story wide open. Yeah, don't even you, go undercover. Just go out and, you know, because they yeah. publish, it's on YouTube, right? You can find it. <laughs> That's authoritative. Yeah. So, well, all right. Yeah. Go, uh, go. Good luck, though. Let us know how it I, turns out. Yeah. Right. I was only calling to uh, say that the comparison I felt was unfair, even if you didn't believe in Bigfoot and aliens. Okay. At least we do have a, a you know, a description. So I don't know. But we wow. don't. Say, you know, uh, well, I'm just saying we at least have somewhat of details. We have nothing on God. We have yeah. no we, picture or video yeah, or we anything. Have, we have I'm nothing just saying on that aliens. at least we have more. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for calling. All right. See ya. Right. Huh. A rowdy bunch of callers today. Wow. <laughs> so I vote we skip Where are we the at? next one. Uh, I'm not really interested. You know, in... yeah, I'm get I'm seeing in brackets possible troll, but they still put him first. Um, I'm just going to trust your judgment on that one and Yeah. Bye. Uh, let's uh... see. So we got yeah, I don't feel, I don't feel like risk taking today. And yeah. uh, well, we've already had next? Eric. Yeah. What? Yeah, we've already had a few of those calls, so I'm not really interested in possibly revisiting. Yeah. So yeah, Eric uh, from Hello. New Jersey. Hello. Oh, hi guys. Hi Russell. Hi Jen. I love your show. Thank I you. have watched the show for years, uh, and I've lived in Austin for nine years. So every time I see it. Uh, it makes me miss Austin. Yep. I love Matt, and I love Tracy. I have a little crush on Tracy that was supposed to be secret, but it's not secret anymore. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So thanks for having me Don't, on. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to say was um, I'm becoming atheist, or at least agnostic, hmm. and I admit I don't have sufficient evidence or belief in any God. And, and this is okay. all re- relatively recent. Hmm. Uh, I acknowledge that holding on to the theistic belief is irrational, and I've justified holding on to it by saying there needs to be a place in our lives for the irrational. Uh, But I'm actually moving away even from that view because I realize if I allow irrationality in my own life, what argument do I have against a a radical Islamist who wishes to allow his brand of irrationalism in his life? I I don't have any leg to stand on. So... 
but I still find it's hard to completely reject theism. Um, I admit that experiences I had in the past uh, I attributed to some supernatural being really have no justification, and it was really just trying to fit a pattern of coincidences into a coherent story, but uh, there's no real evidence or justification for that. So my question is, it's really tough um, to let go of deeply ingrained beliefs. Like like Matt, I was brought up in a fundamentalist, uh, in formative years, I should say, grew up in fundamentalist uh, Bible church and Bible uh, belt uh, religion, and it uh, it's hard to, I know I've long since let that go, but it's hard to sort of let go all of any kind of theism. Even after you see it's not rational, I find myself still having a hard time. How do you deal with that? Okay. That's my question. Um, so the first thing, a little clarification of terms here, because um, agnostic and theist or atheist are not mutually exclusive terms. And agnosticism is not the middle ground between theism and atheism. So agnosticism is, or Gnosticism is about what you claim to know or is even possible to know. So do you claim to know that there is or is not a God? Uh, No. Okay. So you're already agnostic. So now... Theism and atheism is about what you believe. Okay, so do you believe mm. that a god exists? Mm, I mm, I don't have sufficient evidence for that. Okay, no. so you're already an atheist. <laughs> so, um, okay, so. I guess so. It just doesn't feel very comfortable. Right. Uh, I, I think and, maybe and, what feels uncomfortable is that you want to be certain of things. Right. But there's not a test. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's, no, that's okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. There, there's, for most of us, when, when we kind of, at least most of the people I've talked to, there was like no, you know, big epiphany where one day people said, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an atheist. It was sort of a gradual falling away when you sort of yeah. test the beliefs periodically and realize that they're not justified and they just fall away. And there may be one day when you kind of realize that you, you crossed over, you know, that little, that little bridge a long time ago, but there was no awareness at the time that, oh, hey, I'm, I am formally crossing over to, to atheism now. Um, it just kind yeah. of, it, it's kind of a, a gradual evolution. Yes, it has been gradual. I mean, I still, for example, pray, but someone asked me, well, why do you pray? And I, and I just do it reflexively. I don't, right. it's not that I'm praying because I desire to pray or because I believe there's some being doing anything out there responding to the prayer. It's just, I might be in the car and I'll just say, oh, Lord have mercy. And I realize I mean, that some, it's just like some, atheist, some atheists very seriously promote the value of meditation. Yeah. I'm not one of them. But it doesn't bother me that atheists do. And I think that if you pray, uh, but you also know that it's just something to make you feel good, it's okay to feel good. I don't pray. And, I don't, I, like, because I don't feel like I'd get anything out of it. But I'm not going to, like, be the atheist police and tell you, you have to stop praying right now or you're not a real atheist and you're not rational. 
So I, I'm going to recommend right. a book for you because you made a comment earlier about you know what place does irrationality have in our lives? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's a book. The title of it is Predictably Irrational. It was written by a guy named Dan Ariely. And can you spell that? Yeah, D Dan D A N A R I E L Y. So Dan Ariely, predictably irrational. It's on Amazon, lots of other booksellers. Um, but basically, it talks about how irrational um, thoughts, irrational decision-making processes, basically irrationality does have a place. And so that might oh. that might make you feel a little bit better about this kind of you know irrational thought process. Wow. Well, yeah, I didn't know anyone had come up with the yeah. explanation for that, or or that irrationality has some sort mm. of place. I mean, I, hmm. yeah. Well, thanks. And so I mean, well, that's all I had. Thanks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. What, I, what I'm what I'm hearing from you, though, is that it sounds like you're struggling with the remnants of indoctrination, and we talk about that a lot on the show. But it's it's very yeah. insidious, and and once you've been indoctrinated, it it is actually work getting rid of that. So, you know, you're you're kind of on your way yeah. there. It it is work, and like I said, I've been watching your show for years, and I just turned my wife onto the show. Oh, good. <laughs> she's a little bit more theistic than I am, but she's kind of gotten into Hinduism and some other things, but okay. she's been watching the show and we just, I mean, it's, to me, it's hilarious. <laughs> a lot of the callers, I, I just find it entertaining. So we just started off watching it for entertainment and I said, hey, honey, listen, watch this show. And she watches it. And, but the other night I was saying, uh, she asked me, are you, I didn't realize you were still questioning what you believe about God. Are you still questioning that? And she asked me in this way that was kind of like, uh, this could turn into an argument if I don't answer this question properly. <laughs> or I could, so, so I need to divert or dis, disarm this. And so, yeah, even though she's all for it because she likes watching it because of the logic and she learns about all of the logical fallacies, and that, that's a really big benefit of your show is it, teaches people how to think, and I, I've learned a lot um, from listening to the way you guys slice and dice logical fallacies and law of excluded middle and onus yeah. of proof and all that good stuff. I mean, I sure hope so, so because I feel like, I know we all come on the show for different reasons. We're all volunteers who have been with it for a while. Um, for me personally, it's not so important for me to make people become atheist, but to uh, encourage people to think and be skeptical. And uh, and if I can improve people's outlook and make them just a little less gullible each time, then I feel like I'm doing my job. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to check out that book for sure. Okay. And thanks so much for having me on the show. I love your show. All right, then. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Okay. Uh, well, we're running out of time. We have 12 more minutes this week, and that's enough to take one long caller or two short callers, so we'll just see how it goes. Uh, Andy? Hi. 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 Andy in Pennsylvania. Yep. Uh, so I'm kind of bringing together a few of the calls here because some of the different things, like the idea of like evidence balancing and and uh, the idea that in the last call about, you know, gradually kind of 
realizing one day, wow, I don't really believe this anymore. Because I'm a, I'm a Christian, and mm. I'm kind of teetering on the edge of atheism, I guess, because I just don't, uh, I just don't feel like it's real sometimes. But here's the reason I'm calling is because the big thing that uh, just the 20-second background, um, to me, like, I feel like I've kind of already established in my head that there's probably errors in the New Testament, right, that there's things that seem like they conflict and they can't be reconciled. So I'm not, I'm not even worried about, like, okay, well, if the Bible's wrong, then God's wrong. Or, um, you know, well, is God perfectly just? Because I've heard that discussed a lot because the whole slavery thing and all that. I'm not even worried about that either because I already kind of feel like, well, if, you're, if that's the standard, then no, he's not. Um, but to me, what it all comes down to is the idea that did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Because even if people in the New Testament wrote it down wrong, it doesn't matter. The question is, did it happen or didn't it? And here's mm-hmm. the key thing that's kind of the, the main thing that's keeping me from, I think, kind of completely crossing over and saying, okay, I'm all-out atheist, because the thing I can't explain in my head, and this is my question, like how you think about this, is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then why did all those people go to grisly, awful deaths defending the idea that he did, or at least going along with that? Because even if I think to myself, well, maybe they stuck with it because they liked the power that they had, and they kind of liked being leaders in the church, even if the church wasn't legitimate. You know, maybe then, but would they, would, would you get like, would you get skinned alive for that? Like, you know, would that be worth it? I mean, I don't think so. You know, and, and these questions like, why would they have done this if it wasn't true? That's my main sticking point. And I'm yeah, just wondering pe- what you guys think about that. People only, people die for things that they are confident are true. Like, for instance, all the Japanese suicide bombers who yeah. died for their belief that the emperor was a living god. Right. Or all the uh, Muslim uh, terrorists who, right. uh, y- you know, who, uh, for example, uh, hijacked planes on 9-11 or uh, have driven into Israeli cafes and blown themselves up. Uh, they they sure believed that they were dying for something real. Yeah. And were, they, were they? And, and false confessions are relatively common. You know, people yeah. people confess to really heinous crimes that they did not commit for a lot of different reasons. But I mean, uh, you know, Russell said earlier we're kind of running short on time, so I'm going to give you um, a little bit of information here. Tracy Harris actually did a show. Oh it's, yeah, it's episode six twenty three. Good episode of the Atheist Experience, and it was called "Would You sure. Die for a Lie?" And she talks about this very issue. So I'd recommend you check that out. I, thank, I appreciate that, because like I said, that's the, that's the one thing I can't explain away in my head, basically, is I guess, because everything else I can kind of come up with an explanation for, but that one thing, I just, I'm like, how could that have, how could that have happened if it wasn't true? Right. So like, I, I think, yeah, Tracy's episode is really good, but I also think, long story short, uh, people, uh, people die often all the time for uh, things that they really truly believe but are mistaken about uh they can be mistaken even about things that they see firsthand uh especially if they are very gullible people uh and people sometimes can't get out of death whether or not they are prepared to give up on their beliefs and so sometimes they don't give up on it because uh they imagine there's a chance that there'll be some benefit from them standing their ground uh, yeah. Lots, lots of things. Watch Tracy; she's better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Th- thanks very much. I appreciate it. 
Thanks. Yeah. Good call. I mean, by Jan. <laughs> uh, let's see. We got a couple people left. Uh, who's been on the longest? George in California. Hi. 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 I'm George, Huntington Beach, California. You got seven I minutes. Call to think. <laughs> I'll do it. I can wrap it up inside of seven. Um, I really want to con- congratulate you and compliment you on the show. It's just fantastic. Thanks. I've been mooching okay. off you guys' show for like 15, 20 years, and I finally contributed. So <laughs> I thought it's long enough getting getting so many free episodes. Um, I uh, I started. I, I came to atheism um, from a religious background, a, a Episcopalian. I was confirmed, so forth and. One day after my confirmation, I'm standing out in the backyard at night, moonless night, full of stars. It's in the country. And I'm asking my dad, we're talking about the universe, he's a scientist. And I said, what's outside the universe? He said, nobody knows, George. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I tried to figure that out for years. I, uh, I, I came to the conclusion right after I... <laughs> had my first communion in the church that I wasn't going to go to church anymore. And Dad said, well, just don't hurt your mother's feelings, and I I haven't done that. Um, But what was interesting is that the slow progression over the years from a kind of uh, non-churchy, semi-religious, I don't care about it feeling, matured into um, a lot of logical challenges. I was very lucky in my first semester in college I took a course in logic, masquerading as an English honors course. Well, uh, really we're we're at five minutes now. Do you have a question? We're at five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. my question is, how often do you get calls? I didn't know you were in the question answering mode. I forgot <laughs> that. How often do you get calls from people who have been religious and became atheists as part of an educational path, an educational experience, and? I, I can specify uh, even more closely uh, the the moment it occurred was I was watching a show on recovering from religion, and a preacher was speaking, having recovered from religion. And he said that he found it was okay to have feelings, normal, natural, physical feelings, and he didn't have to worry about God looking over his shoulder all the time. And it suddenly clicked with me. The feeling I'm I'm really promoting atheism because I've had such a wonderful life free from uh, any of the baggage that came to me with my religion. It's really very liberating, and I'm wondering how often you run into people who've had a similar experience. I would say fairly I, frequently. With yeah, emails I, I don't really know because not everybody who calls as an atheist identifies their specific yeah. path, but hmm. it happens. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me because 30 years ago, I went into Alcoholics Anonymous and I sobered up as an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, my, my wife died on February 28th. I've been going to bereavement I'm therapy. Sorry. Nobody talks religion. Thank you. Yeah. Nobody talks religion, and nobody asks me, which is great. Yeah. Um, but I haven't, I haven't felt any urge to even think of returning to religion, as I might return to, for example, alcohol or something like that. It's just a phenomenal experience to undergo, and I give a lot of credit to your show for that. 
just okay. from the educational background I've had listening to everybody. I've loved I've loved hearing from every host. I have no favorite. Every one of Thanks you brings a much. different point of view Thanks. and a different contribution. It's absolutely marvelous. It's just kind of like tossing bouquets your way. You know, keep up keep up the good work. Right. I'll be watching for as as long as I'm alive. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, George. Okay, hope we keep doing You're it welcome. that long. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope you do. Yep. Goodbye now. Bye. All right. Uh, I think. I don't know. I think that's our show because yeah. we got two minutes, and uh, that's not really enough time. Sorry, Alok, but uh, <laughs> we're it's, out of time. Or yeah. do you want to try to bum rush him through? <laughs> well, I mean, we could. His question is, why does the ACA argue against religion? Okay. Yeah. And I- <laughs> Alok, you have give me your question in thirty seconds. For wow, are you on a plane? <laughs> Okay, bye. Yeah. 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 Why does the ACA argue against religion? Um, it's uh, harmful. Um, there are, are beliefs that are actively harmful to human beings promoted by religions. And even the beliefs that are not actively harmful are in many cases not true. And we don't think there's any uh, particular benefit to believing untrue things. Yeah, they make no sense, and they have net negative beha- uh, impact on people's behavior, so um, uh, we don't think there's any reason to support them. But uh, that's our show. Thank you, Jen, for joining me. Thank it's you. It was been a, a pleasure. <laughs> it was fun, as always. Yep. So we're going to go to Star of India now. That's and right. And have some Indian food and great conversation. Right. Uh, and that's at 2900 West Anderson Lane. Uh, thanks again for all you people who have donated to uh, keep up the work that the ACA is doing. Uh, and we will see you with another show next week. Bye. Oh, and thanks, audience yes. and crew. Yeah. Great crew. There they are. This is Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you.